Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey everybody, it's Dan and this is the Orange to Brown Talk podcast with me, Mary Kay Cabot, Scott Patsko, Ellis Williams. We're going to do training camp awards from the Browns 2020 training camp. And then, actually it's the 2021 training camp. Wow, it's been a long camp. Sorry about that. The Browns 2021 training camp. And then after that, stick around. You'll hear my interview with Kadero Hodge that I recorded a couple days ago. Uh, that'll be coming up at the back end of the podcast. Now, real quickly, I want to tell you about something. And it's actually not Football Insider that you should go to Cleveland Icom slash Browns and sign up for that. I want to tell you about our virtual Orange and Brown season kickoff event taking place on September 1st. That's Wednesday from 6.30 to 8. Mary Kay Cabot, Scott Patsko, Ellis Williams, Doug Maurice, Terry Pluto, and me will be there for in-depth discussions, special team analytics discussions, a live auction and surprise cameos. Tickets for the event are free and can be reserved through our event page. It's bit.ly CLE Orange and Brown. That's all one word. So bit.ly slash CLE Orange and Brown. I'm going to put that link in the bio as well. You can also enter for a chance to win tickets to a special smaller group VIP experience with Browns alumni, players, and Cleveland.com sports writers. There's only 150 of those available for this special experience. Go to that link uh, to enter to win tickets for the sweepstakes. Again, I'll put that link in the bio. So again, that's our virtual orange and brown season kickoff event. It takes place Wednesday at September 1st, 6.30. All right, here we go. Our Friday slash Saturday get to do again at orange and brown. Welcome to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. My name's Ellis Williams. Brown's training camp has come to an end. Feels like just yesterday that it started through the heat and the joint practices and two preseason games and one more coming up, of course, on Sunday. We are going to put a bow on training camp by handing out some award winners. We got our Berea Camper of the Year, our biggest surprise, biggest disappointment, and the largest remaining question or the unknown heading into the season. But before we do that, of course, I'm joined as always by Mary Kay Cabot, Dan Lobby, and Scott Patsko. The Browns made a little news today. Kevin Stefanski announcing that Baker Mayfield and a handful of the starters will play in Atlanta on Sunday, Sunday night football on NBC. I'm sure Collinsworth and company are happy to hear that news. So before, again, before we get into our awards you guys were all there today. Your initial reactions, I'm guessing a little surprised when you heard Kevin Fancy announced that Baker and company would be out there. So, I, I mean, I guess I'll go first. I, I'm surprised but not shocked. I don't know if you guys felt this way. I, I just got the sense that something was coming, like some of these guys were going to play. 
because Kevin wasn't just coming out and saying what was going to happen. And it just felt like it felt like something was going to happen now that I think it was going to be Baker. That one was, that, that was probably the more surprising part of it for me, but I wasn't like shocked that he's playing some of his starters here in this game. Um, to, you know, surprised, but not shocked, I guess is how I would put it. Yeah, can, can this be a biggest surprise? Is this like the, the big twist at the end of camp that nobody saw coming? Uh, yeah, I was a bit surprised too because it's not when you say Baker Mayfield's going to start or when he, you say he's going to play, well, then that there's stuff that comes with that. So it's not just Baker Mayfield out there behind, you know, Blake Hans and, uh, and you know, Chris Hubbard. And, and all. it's, it's going to be the a starting offensive line, you would assume as well. Um, you know, I would expect to see the top three tight ends and at least Kareem Hunt. Um, so, yeah, when he says that Baker Mayfield is going to play, I think you could probably assume there's going to be some other significantly or significant players out there as well. Um, you know, we all saw the Chiefs play Pat, Patrick Mahomes. I, there's good arguments either way on whether or not they should play. I understand if you want to say they've gotten this far, why do it? But I don't know. It's football. You can people get hurt in practice all the time. So you might as well just give them a couple series and see what you got. Yeah. Mary Kay, I know you had an immediate reaction to this. Yeah. And, you know, once again, I'm not outraged. I'm not shocked. Uh, but I, I would call it a mild surprise uh, because this has been camp health. You know, I mean, that's been the theme of this whole entire training camp is to keep these guys healthy, put them on ice, have them wear bucket hats, stand on the sidelines uh, in some cases when they're not really that hurt, uh, and then leave Baker Mayfield and the starters out of the first two games. So I guess my thought was, uh, you know what, just they've gotten to this point, just keep it going, get to the starting blocks completely healthy, especially Baker Mayfield and some of your other starters. Um, in terms of Baker, uh, I, I, I wrote this in the column that, you know, there, there's only one thing can, that can happen if you don't start him, and that's he can come out healthy, okay? He'll come home healthy, and he's going to be ready to go. There's two things that can ha happen. There's probably a lot more than that, but there's, there's two major things that can happen if you play him, and that is uh, he can come out healthy or he can come out hurt. And so, you know, you're putting him in some risk. And since this, this was such a risk-averse camp, I am mildly surprised about it. Again, I'm not completely, uh, you know, 100% opposed to it. But you know what? I guess I just feel like, you know, you've come this far. Why let some, you know, some young guy that's trying to make a name for himself uh, take a shot at somebody? Or look what happened with Odell Beckham Jr. in 2017 when he played for the Giants and Brian Body Calhoun decided that he was going to really try to jump off the page and put himself on film against Odell Beckham Jr. And he really made a name for himself there. Odell says he's never been the same since that ankle injury. So there's part of me that, you know, gets a little bit concerned about that because there's three or four players on this team that you just don't want to lose this season. Baker, of course, is one of them. We've talked about the rest, Miles, Denzel, Odell, Jarvis, Nick, uh, you just want those guys to, to really stay as healthy as possible. So I wouldn't do it, but I do understand the decision to do it. Yeah. Now, now we're going to draft all the things that could happen to Baker Mayfield. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm actually in agreement with Mary Kay. I, 
I think it's weird. Like I said, I wasn't surprised. I'm not surprised it's happening, but I, I think it's weird. You know, I, and honestly, it's not Baker that I'm most concerned about because I think he'll be able to protect himself. He's going to be smart. But it concerns me because, like Scott was saying, you can't throw Baker out there with the second team O-line. I mean, that, I mean, that would be irresponsible. I mean, if that happens Sunday night, then Kevin Stefanski deserves criticism for it. He's got to have a good chunk of his starting O-line out there for him, I think. So now you're exposing some really important players on maybe the best unit on your whole team to, I mean, you know how easy it is for an O-lineman to get hurt, get rolled up on, something like that. You kind of expose those guys to a little more risk. So that chain reaction makes you a little nervous, too. I said this to you, Mary Kay, when we did our Hey, Mary Kay video, right? Todd Haley used to say you can't live in your fears or whatever it was, and that, and that hard knots. I'm, maybe I'm living in my fears here, but I, I tend to agree with you. As safe as they've been, I wouldn't mind them being safe in this game, but that's not the choice Kevin's making. And I'm really curious to see what kind of plays they actually run when he's out there. If he's just going to be handing the ball off, then what's the point? They're going to have him throw, you would assume. And I think it would be terrifying to, like, have him do a play action bootleg and there's a defensive end who paid attention last year and he stays home and Baker is rolling right into harm's way. Uh, we saw that happen, you know, as the season went on last season, some of those defenses started to, to keep somebody there and, and those bootlegs weren't as wide open as they were. Uh, I'm guessing it's going to be quick throws and get rid of the ball quick, just work on quick timing stuff and, you know, give that defensive line as little time as possible to get to the quarterback. It doesn't, it seem like, and I know there is probably some kind of a statistic that goes along with this, Scott, maybe you even know what it is, but it does seem like the majority of injuries happen in preseason games. I, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's the fact that there's so many guys in and out that you've got so many backup guys playing. I, I don't know what it is, but it just seems like uh, they lend themselves to to guys getting injured and boy, wouldn't it be an absolute shame? So it's, it's going to be, you know, people are going to have to hold their breath a little bit to make sure they come out of this. They're probably not going to play long, but, um, and any little bit at all with, with full contact is always a risk. Yeah. My mind went right where yours did, Dan. I thought about the O-line immediately. You can protect Baker and Kareem Hunt and your perimeter players for the most part in a controlled style of preseason game I thought it was interesting when Kevin mentioned he was talking to Arthur Smith in Atlanta just about you know he didn't call it a peace treaty or however he worded it but mentioned what he wants to get accomplished and the expectations there but you know I got a buddy who plays tackle uh, up in Toronto in the CFL and right while camp was ending he was injured on a point after attempt just a freak thing some guy fell into him but Mary Kay I read what you had to say about Baker some guy trying to make a name for himself at the end of camp and took his ankle out and, you know, he's, he's on the IR now having ligament uh, damage and a, a surgery to repair that. Of course, not putting that on the Browns. Who knows? It's a game of chance when, when you're talking like injuries like this, but that's where my mind goes. You just never know how a body may fall. And again, like you said, Dan, it would be malpractice, quite frankly, if Baker's out there with the two. So you'd expect the, the, the five starters out there and you just never know. Uh, in the same light, though, I, I thought we learned a lot about Kevin Stefanski, the head coach today in the announcement as well. Remember, no preseason games for Kevin as a first year coach a year ago. So for him to first announce Baker will start and then give us that bit about how he views the third preseason game, much like the old the, pre, the third preseason game of old when there were four preseason games. 
as a, a dress rehearsal, if you will, uh, sort of Kevin's old school jeans showing there. And that leads me to ask you all this. I mean, I remember some third preseason games specifically watching the Vikings when I was younger, where the starters would play the whole first half. That seems like a stretch. So where do you land on this? Do we see Baker for one series, two series, the quarter, a whole half? Does anyone feel strongly on that? On what first, what you expect and then what the right answer is? Well, back in the day, the dress rehearsal game was actually through three quarters. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they, they played almost a full game, but you know, back in the day, they had six weeks of training camp and two a days and all kinds of other things. And now they figured out that doesn't really work for uh, the modern pro athlete. Uh, so I would expect a couple of series. I, I'm not expecting a dress rehearsal game. I think they're going to get them in there, get them out healthy um, and, and try to let, it, let them get a little bit of timing and a little bit of contact. So the first hit doesn't come in Kansas City. But I mean, so what if the first hit comes in Kansas City? Do you guys think that's that big of a deal? I, I don't. Really. Yeah, but, yeah, we're in agreement. Not, not from not from an everybody outside of Baker standpoint. No, uh, I don't think that that's a big deal. And I think as far as how long will he play, I think it'll come down to how those drives go and what they get to account. Because I'm sure there's it's going to be a scripted type of thing, and they want to work on certain things and. You know, if it's three and out, then, you know, you're, you come back and you try again. But if they have uh, a really long drive and, and another decent drive, that, you know, that could be it. They, they accomplish what they want to in two drives. You know, that makes sense to get them out. I, I, I'm expecting a lot of Eli Manning sacks from Baker Mayfield. If there's somebody coming off pressure, I'm expecting a lot of the, uh, the just lay down and don't get hit sacks from Baker Mayfield. We'll see. But I, I don't think he's going to be real aggressive and trying to extend plays and, and be a hero. No, a competitive Baker might be diving first down <laughs> in Atlanta, Dan. You never know. I, I do want to say this before we slide to our awards. One more thing I learned about Kevin mentioning, really raving about how valuable those joint practices are. It wouldn't surprise me one bit if the Browns tried to do two different joint practice sessions next year. When he said he got 60 controlled reps for his starters, just in football talk, uh, that's huge. So those coaches uh, rave about that stuff, and then they go back and break all that tape down. I could see them treating the preseason. Maybe we don't see any starters next year in the preseason, and they get another joint practice. And even though I know the players aren't as big on those in the NFLPA, coaches seem to love them. Coaches love them. Oh, there, there's no question about it. Coaches love them. Most players don't, don't like those practices right. at all because tempers do flare. And it's, it's like playing two other preseason games. I mean, it really is a lot of extra reps. You can't take that many reps because you're just going against each other on those two days. So uh, the coaches love the, you know, the double work. And, uh, but, but players really, really don't like those. And I'm surprised that the NFL PA allows them to happen. Yeah. I hear that. And it remains to be seen where that'll land. Again, I feel like Kevin and those that coaching staff would love to get another one in. Uh, but, you know, we're, we're now 365 days away from 2022 training camp. So let's slide into our award ceremony here, if you will. We're going to kick it off with the Bria Camper of the Year, the Cross Country Mortgage Fieldhouse Camper of the Year. We were, did I say that right? We were trying to do that off before we recorded. It's a, it's a tough one. Uh, I, I have a winner. I have, a, there's also an obvious name. So let's get this one out of the way. 
Scott, I'll throw it to you. Who's your camper of the year, my man? Johnny Stanton. No, I'm not saying Johnny Stanton. Even though I am the, the captain of Johnny Stanton fans, I, I, I just want to say Mary Kay was like looking down at her phone or something. And when, and when Scott said that name, her head just like popped up. Like, <laughs> we we're ready to talk about Johnny Stanton. What? Check my notes. Make sure everybody's paying attention. Uh, no, I think the, the camper of the year here is, is Donovan Peoples Jones. He, I mean, he busted out of the gates like just on fire. And it didn't, I, I don't think he carried that momentum all the way through, but he had, you know, he does what he does. He catches one catch, just you remember it all week. So both preseason games seemed to, to have those catches. And then, you know, when the Giants were here, there were those moments. And just the fact that he showed up and it quickly became evident that he was going to be a guy who jumped, made that second year jump, at least from a training camp standpoint anyways. We'll have to see how it looks once once they get on the field in regular season. But he, he's the guy that established himself as someone to watch early on. And yeah, at this point, you're pretty much writing him in, in ink uh, as that third guy as a receiver. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we can all agree that if, if we each had to take a first choice, I think we would all probably have Johnny Stanton as the first choice. I mean, Donovan, <laughs> <laughs> Donovan Peoples-Jones uh, as, the, as our first choice. As, as Scott mentioned, I mean, he just lit it up from day one and he really only let up when they made him let up. Okay. Exactly. They kind of backed him off. Once it became evident that he was who he was, uh, they, they started to slow him down a little bit and they, they started to give a lot more reps to, you know, to other guys. And we started to see some more of Kaderil. We saw some more of what Jamarcus, when he got back, uh, you know, they, they really kind of, let him wind it down just a little bit. He continued to make plays, uh, but he wasn't, you know, all Berea every single day, the way that he was in the beginning. Uh, so yeah, he, he was tremendous to the point where I think that it gives you the leeway of letting Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, ease his way back into the lineup a little bit if he has to. Now, maybe he doesn't have to. We don't, we just don't really know for sure yet. Maybe he'll go out and he'll play 60 snaps in the opener and he'll be amazing, and he'll catch 10 passes and two touchdowns and have 120 yards. But in the event that he's on a bit of a pitch count, you know you can rely on Donovan Peoples-Jones. Anybody would be proud to put Jarvis Landry, Donovan Peoples-Jones out there together, and then throw Richard in as your third receiver, and off you go. So I'll throw out um, another name. I, I mean, we've kind of said everything we need to about DPG. I'll just throw out another name, and Scott, I mentioned this name when we did our video earlier. Um, and I, there's actually two guys I could nominate from that safety room. Uh, but, you know, I would, Ronnie Harris had dealt with some injuries, but he was really good when he was out there. But I just think from a living up to the hype standpoint, I think John Johnson III deserves at least some mention here. I don't know that he should beat out Donovan Peoples-Jones, but his leadership, his communication, he did make some plays you kind of saw that vision of him as, as the free safety. And, and I think that's primarily where, where he'll be. He'll get some time in the box. He'll get to be sort of that hybrid linebacker. But I think ultimately he's the guy in the very back end of that defense. And I think he really kind of lived up to everything as advertised. Um, even though he wasn't spectacular, he wasn't making plays all over the place all camp. He was just out there. You heard him, saw him. I, I think I, I would nominate him for those reasons. 
Dan, I completely agree. And a, a model of consistency to come out of training camp unhurt. I mean, healthy, you know, this is, we're talking yeah. about a safety room that battles that every single day, uh, you know, Grant Talbot being uh, at the head of that, but you know, Ronnie remains dinged up here and there too. So from uh, on the field communication, from what we can gather inside the building and inside the locker room, a leader in that sense, and then just to consistently be out there whenever he's asked and remaining healthy, definitely a worth mentioning camper of the year, Donovan Peoples Jones getting the highlight spot just because I mean really probably the shortest training camp battle uh, in Brown's camp I mean it was over after a couple well maybe three or four practices due to also Rashard Higgins being hurt early in camp with that rolled ankle that tag team didn't do Higgins any favors but DPJ arrived on the scene and made the the explosive appearance, but I love that we're giving John Johnson his run here because just as a presence, that model of consistency, that's exactly what you paid for. Yeah, I, I 100% agree with that. I wrote down two guys after um, after Scott gave Donovan Peoples-Jones. I wrote down two other guys after that uh, that I would mention, and the first one was John Johnson the third. And as you guys mentioned, while Denzel was standing out there in the bucket hat, Ronnie Harrison in the bucket hat, Grant Delpit in the bucket hat, Greedy Williams in the bucket hat. John Johnson showed up every day and answered the bell. And he was there. And not only was he there, he was intercepting passes. He's, he's a ball hawk. He's, he's, around, he's around the football a lot. His instincts are really, really good. And he's directing traffic back there in a huge way. I mean, Denzel, for being as good of a player as he is, is not necessarily a vocal leader. John Johnson III is a very, very chatty vocal leader, chatting everybody up, tell, telling Greg Newsom, here's where you need to be, talking to Troy Hill all the time. Uh, just that constant interaction. I think he's going to really just bring that whole entire secondary together. And, and, you know, he finished it off with an interception yesterday. So that was good. He was tremendous. Can I throw out another honorable mention? Yes. I don't know if this is on anybody else's list. I had David Njoku down. Mm -hmm. um, just knowing what he had gone through over the past year leading up to now. And, you know, he talked earlier in camp about how he's in a better headspace. And, you know, I think you come away from this camp expecting him to have a much bigger role, especially starting off the season than he did last year. You know, he was really in the background when this, when last season started off and, uh, he made a lot of big catches. Obviously, he really stood out against the Giants in those joint practices. I don't know how much we're going to see of him against the Falcons, but uh, it seems like he's kind of close the gap or at least worked his way into a, a situation where, uh, you know, he's not going to be incredibly overshadowed snap-wise early on in the season. At least I, I wouldn't think that's going to be the case. Yeah, Scott, that, that's a perfect transition. I have David Njoku as my biggest surprise uh, I, I want to mention Baker Mayfield as an honorable mention, just because I was able to take two or three days there in the middle of camp and follow Baker with my eyes from a leadership standpoint. And I just noticed a, a different player in the sense of his grasp and control in the offense, a, a guy who is now going from a, the language to now being able to modify it. And him and David Njoku go hand in hand with that. And He'll, David Njoku will be my surprise nominee because I just didn't expect for him to 
completely take over the number one tight end job the way he did. Now that won't ever show on a depth chart. You won't ever hear any of the coaching staff talk about that. But if you were at camp and specifically the orange and brown scrimmage or the giant joint practices, you saw David Njoku completely level up in, in almost a, a Wyatt Teller like way, establish himself as the most explosive tight end on the staff that that's without question or in the room. And it just was the type of changing of the guard without it being recognized that I did not expect to see from David Njoku. So completely agree with you, Scott, and hats off to Njoku setting up for what should be a, a really promising and, and breakout season, quite frankly. Yeah, I, you know, I wonder if he's going to get the targets to go along with what we saw. I think he right. should. I mean, I've been saying this for a long time. I, I've been I've been talking about David Njoku since way back early on in camp. Uh, tell you know, even in the off season, that I think he's capable of an eight TD catch season. I've said that about a hundred times by now, and you guys are sick of hearing me say it. <laughs> but um, I think you can see it. I think he demonstrated that this this summer. It's just a matter of whether or not he gets the targets because Austin Hooper is their 10 and a half million guy. And, uh, you know, and you want to get that guy, the targets and you want to get him the reps and, you know, he's probably still going to be considered the number one, I would think, even though I firmly believe that David Njoku is the more explosive and dangerous weapon for Baker Mayfield right now. I mean, there's just no doubt in my mind that that is the case. Um, and it's just going to be a matter of if if it plays out like that on the field. I'm very curious to see how that goes. Yeah, so I'll go with you on this one, Ellis. I think Njoku's probably my biggest surprise. Um, and then the key for Njoku is just going to be that consistency. You know, it's that's what makes uh, that's what makes a good player, right? There's lots of talented guys. There's lots of freakish athletes. There's lots of you know, there's lots of guys out there that are incredible, you know, athletically, but He's just got to be consistent. And if he can do it game to game, you know, week to week, that's when we see David Njoku start to put himself in that conversation that made the Browns want to trade up to take him back in 2017. And I think that's probably been his biggest issue through his career is consistency. Can you be there and make those plays every single week in this camp? It's a good start. You know, we're into year five now. He's got to start showing it on the field on Sundays. And we've seen flashes, but it's, it's got to be consistent. But yeah, I would say – if, if we had a biggest risers award, it would probably be David Njoku. So I'll put him in my biggest surprise. I'll, I'll go with you on this one, Ellis, and I'll put Njoku in biggest surprise as well. I had a friend call me last night doing a fantasy football draft, and he asked me if he should draft Austin Hooper. I said, just wait a little bit and get David Njoku when it wraps up. I, I think a, a big year is coming for him, and rise is the, the perfect way to frame that in a fantasy standpoint. Uh, Mary Kay, do you want to throw out your biggest surprise at camp? Yeah, now for me, it is not David Njoku because I've been telling you guys since January <laughs> he's going to catch a touchdown pass. Um, but anyways, I mean, really good good for him. He, he's doing a really nice job. I think I'm going to say for my biggest surprise, I might go with Demetric Felton. I mean, he came sort of out of nowhere as the sixth round pick, okay? Sixth round pick here in 2020. And, you know, I just think he he really showed up. And he showed up in a big way and they gave him two different roles to play. And I thought for the most part, uh, he did a nice job with both of them. Now he did have a little bit of a drop today, um, but that's going to happen. These, these rookies aren't going to be perfect, of course. Um, but the opportunity was there for him in part because Anthony Schwartz was not in the receiver room. So right off the bat early on, 
in rookie camp, we started to see Demetric Felton working in there with the receivers. And then he just went back and forth. And at night he would get a text or a call or whatever it was. Uh, and that's when he would find out what position he was playing the next day. And that's a tall order for a young guy. But I thought he rose to the occasion. And so often I looked up and there was number 25 running the ball or catching the ball or even returning the football. So I'm going with Demetri Felton as the biggest surprise. And I have to say this, if I hear somebody on the radio one more time, say that Demetri Felton is not making this football team, I'm going to scream. It just wouldn't make any sense to cut Demetri Felton. So we need to stop that narrative right now. Mary Kay, I completely agree with that. And we can, we can loop that just at the, maybe the start of this podcast, Dan, we just put that on a loop. Mary Kay is going to scream if she hears it one more time. It might be a good, a new intro. We can throw some music behind it. On the point of Demetric Felton, I want fans to understand how many ways this could have gone wrong for this young man during camp. I thought Joe Woods did a great job explaining how careful you have to be with a rookie and their workload, what you ask them to handle in the meeting rooms when talking about JOK. And that same logic can be applied to Demetri Felton. If you don't have a grasp on one position, how are you going to handle two? You're going to act like you can handle all of this because you're a six-round rookie trying to make a team and you're not going to say no to anything when in reality perhaps you're getting overwhelmed. And for the most part, it looks like the Browns threw – plenty at him and he has handled it extremely well emerged and made a name for himself very early in camp and as Mary Kay started this is 100% safe on the 53 man roster it it's a more than a delight it's now a piece to watch going forward on how his role in this offense evolves of course don't expect much in year one but who knows an injury a Kareem Hunt missing a game or two it seems like this young man is poised for his workload just to grow and grow, grow and grow, because clearly he proved he can handle it. I think that I like him as a surprise. And also from the standpoint, just the amount of work he has gotten in camp, because again, he's a sixth round pick. Those guys are not first in line for reps. Normally a uh, sixth round pick as a running back, you know, is, is isn't getting very many reps, just period. Uh, especially when you have guys like Chubb and Hunt, in front of him and someone like Jarenis Johnson, who's been here. Uh, they also have uh, John Kelly uh, on, on the depth chart. And, and then you add in, you know, the receiving reps and just, it just seems like he's constantly out there, whether it's seven on seven or, or in full team drills. And I think makes it so comical when people say he's not making the roster. And then you add in the whole special teams aspect, you know, he's out there covering kicks today uh, as well. So uh, he's just, he's been nonstop. Uh, this whole camp and uh, yeah, he's making the roster. <laughs> Any other surprises throughout there or should we slide to disappointment? I, I have an honorable mention because right. I, mean, I put, I mean, I had, I had a couple guys who, who went in multiple categories like DPJ. I put, you know, that was a big surprise, but sure. I wanted to mention Sheldon day too. I was just, I mean, he's a guy, he's a sixth, uh, fourth round pick in 2016. He's played for like three teams over the last five years. And I don't think anybody was thinking about him, especially when, you look at a lot of the guys they were adding to that defensive line who were kind of like uh, projects, you know, the Malik McDowell's and Marvin Wilson, stuff like that. And 
Uh, Sheldon Day, though, just, you know, very quickly kind of worked his way into rotating in and getting first team reps. He performed really well in both preseason games. Uh, I would not be shocked if he doesn't make this team, if they feel that some of the other guys may have more upside down the road, but uh, he's clearly put himself in position to, if not play here, get picked up quickly by somebody. Um, so if he is here, I think he, I think that's a good choice. I had him on my projected 53 uh, on the defensive line, um, but he's just somebody who really stood out to me that I really wasn't expecting to think about much or, or write about much or talk about much. You know what, that, that's a really good one, Scott. And, and one thing that I've been noticing uh, in watching practice every day is they spend a lot of extra time with Sheldon Day. Uh, he does a lot of things in terms of, you know, when there's some special teams going on or different things that he's not involved in. Uh, the coaches are really working with him. They're investing a lot of time and effort into Sheldon Day, and he's really trying hard. He's asking a lot of questions. He's picking the brains of the veterans. He's really super engaged. It almost looks like he knows that there's a role for him here. Again, I don't know if they're going to be able to find a spot for him. That defensive tackle room, in my opinion, is going to be one where some of the toughest decisions have to be made on Tuesday. Because I keep looking over there and thinking, who would you want to get rid of? I mean, there's so many intriguing guys. You didn't sign Marvin Wilson to let somebody snatch him up. You didn't sign Malik McDowell and bring him this far to say goodbye to him. Sheldon Day looks like a, an NFL player to me. Tommy Togiai looks good. Andrew Bill. I mean, they have a surplus of, of defensive tackles. And I, I don't know how they're going to solve uh, this little problem, that this good little problem that they have there. Yeah, you know, Joe Woods and D-line coach Chris Kiffin must feel comfortable at least where they're at in the interior there, considering they completely remade it, of course, with not having Sheldon Richardson or Larry Ogunjobi back, two guys who had high snap counts for this defense the past two seasons. And it's a completely different model of rebuilding your tackle spots. I mean, offensively, you saw what they did a year ago, signing Conklin and then drafting a, a top 10 guy like Jedrick Wills. Like you expect that to work out aside from a bust, right? But to gather this talent the way they had and to see it produce in camp has to be, uh, I don't want to say a, a surprise to them, but like you said, Mary Kay, a nice problem to have from a position you completely just remade. One more thing about that real quick. Let me just add this real quick. That's also what happens when you have a really good coaching staff that focuses so much on fundamentals and teaching. Uh, when you see a position group that comes along really, really well, like most of the ones on the Browns do, it's because the coaches are in part because the coaches are so good. And I'm so impressed with Chris Kiffin. And I am impressed with a lot of these coaches, but you could just see guys getting better from day to day. I've watched Malik McDowell get so much better from the beginning of camp until now. I mean, it looked like he needed to learn how to get control over his big body. Like he just didn't really quite know what to do with that body, you know? <laughs> and, and now, uh, you know, now he's really starting to look like an athlete and it's, it's kind of coming together with him. And I think that's a testament to Chris Kiffin and the, and the D-line coaches. Chris Kiffin interviewed for that uh, Packers defensive coordinator spot, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, Kevin probably will have to be replacing some guys eventually here on this staff. It is a, a, such a loaded and talented staff, and, it, and it's showing the development of these young players. Let's slide to disappointments. 
Uh, Dan Lobby, what what player or what situation left you disappointed at times leaving Berea? And just, you know, a little saddened in our feelings, if you will. Well, my, my biggest disappointment is they decided to mow this field behind me for the first time all training camp, right when we <laughs> Of course. <laughs> um, you know, I, I hate to say this because he's a rookie, he's young, there's still plenty of time left for him in his career, but I got to say Anthony Schwartz, just because we didn't get to see him. You know, he, he had the soft tissue issues in the spring. He came back for a few days. Again, soft tissue issues kept him off the field. Now, he made some plays when he had opportunities, and I, I think that's maybe why I'm considering it the most disappointing because I think it could have been a really intriguing thing to see him in training camp. So just the fact that we didn't get to see that speed on display, we didn't really kind of get to see – what he's going to bring this offense and they can find a role for him. I mean, Mike Prefer basically said, you know, yesterday that he kind of wishes Anthony Schwartz were his kick returner, but they just haven't been able to have him. So I, I just think because of that, and you know, it, I, I'm not like out on Anthony Schwartz. I just think he was probably the biggest disappointment of this camp because we just never got to see what he could do. Yeah, I agree with you on that. I've, I've also been kind of saying that too about Anthony Schwartz because uh, we watched him on the very first day of rookie minicamp and he struggled to catch the ball in routes on air. And then quickly after that, he suffered the first hamstring injury and we didn't see him for a while. Uh, then he spent some time with Jarvis Landry. He spent time at House of Athlete. He worked on those hands. When he came back for training camp in the beginning of training camp, he made some incredible catches and he had some timing going with Baker Mayfield and he looked really promising. And I thought, wow, they're going to turn him into the, into a football player by the opener. And they're going to have a package of plays for him. They're going to have eight to 10 plays for him. And they're going to be able to utilize his 4.26 speed. And then as Dan mentioned, we didn't see him most of camp. The good news is, is that just even in the last couple of days, he really has started to come on strong again. Caught, he caught a number of touchdown passes today, got a lot of reps. Uh, they weren't in pads, but uh, you know, he, he's back out there now and he does have time. He does have enough time, I think, uh, to still have at least a small package of plays for him in Kansas City if he can demonstrate uh, that he can catch the ball on a consistent basis. And I'm starting to see it. Yeah, he's a part of the offense that, like Dan said, just remains a complete unknown. What what type of packages can they include him in? What would be his personnel grouping? Is he a guy you want out there with Odell? Is he somebody who you'd put out there with more of a Rashard Higgins and, and Jarvis Landry? Uh, I don't know where he fits, but when you have speed like that and then develop into a pass catcher, there, there will be a, a spot for you. I think it makes a lot of sense that he, he lands here, though, in this, this disappointment slot. Scott, is this your guy, too, or, or do you want, are you naming someone else? No, I had him down as, I guess, an honorable mention. Obviously, he's an easy one to, to pick. I mean, we, like everybody said, we'd be nice to – have seen him in some of these preseason games and get a taste of what they can do. I had Delpit at the top, okay. the biggest disappointment, because I just, he's the key that unlocks a lot of what Joe Woods wants to do differently on the defense this season. And we saw that for, I don't know how many snaps, <laughs> like very few snaps uh, when he did come back the first time. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think that to me is the biggest disappointment because it, it's not just waiting this year, it's waiting you know, all through last season as well. I actually had him as my number one disappointment as well. I had him number one. 
Grant Delpit, and I had Anthony number two, because I agree with you, Scott, that, um, that Grant Delpit was going to be counted on in a big, huge way this year. And he still is. They're still hoping that he can play all those roles uh, that they carved out for him last year. Uh, they still want him to be a very significant part of the dime defense and whatever else he can do. So, um, so I, I do think that that's unfortunate. Again, of course, it should be noted that when we call these guys disappointments, we know it's not their fault. We know it's not their fault that they're pulling hamstrings and that they're trying to come back from injuries because we see how hard they're working and it's not like they're just uh, loafing and slacking. It's nothing like that. Uh, it's just the unfortunate aspect of not having guys around that you know that they were going to count on so heavily. I, I think it's, I mean, I think it's notable that the guys we've listed so far are because of injury. Mm -hmm. Like we're not sitting here saying, well, Jamie Clowney was sure disappointing or uh, I don't know, somebody else that, we're, that the Browns are really counting on was on the field all camp and it was a big disappointment, I think. I mean, Ellis, I don't know who you're going to say yet, but I, I do think it's telling that the guys that were on the field were not really discussing. We're discussing guys that were disappointing because of things that were kind of out of their control. Yeah, I, I'm going to mention Tack McKinley here, a, a guy like the others, not on the field, of course, though, for different reasons. And we, I feel like we have to say this every time we talk about Tack. Of course, away from the team for personal reasons, we respect that and and seems like that has been resolved. But I'm going to talk like a football coach. At the end of the day, when you're not there, you're not there. And you're not putting reps on tape. You're not getting conditioned up to game speed. You're not and walkthroughs. I mean, Kevin talks about how much he values walkthroughs and how much work you can accomplish there. I understand. And you hope he was in his book virtually and he was in the building for extended period of time there too. I know Mary Kay had that tidbit before he even got back on the field. But again, from a coaching standpoint, you just crave your players on the field. It's like a dependency and anxiety when they're not out there. And look, tax a pass rusher, at the end of the day, it's, it's a, can be a simple game, but there are, you know, stunts he needs to know. There could be, I saw Jadavion Clowney drop into coverage once out at camp. There are things Joe Woods wants to accomplish that I'm not sure he'll be able to do with Tack right away due to his uh, uh, limited availability. And you hope this is now over with Tack and, and you get the best version of him just from a, a, a young man standpoint, a guy ready to rejuvenate his career. But for everything we were, expecting and just the excitement around what that third pass rusher and expectation might look like uh we didn't see it and it was of course for a very different reason than an injury but at the end of the day you're not on the field i i have another disappointment on my list and it was watching uh miles garrett and Jadavian Clowney jog across a practice field over to where this is during the joint practices over to where they're doing one-on-one -on -one rushing drills right you had you had a, a lineman or like a tight end or somebody from the Giants and you had defensive linemen from the Browns and there was like a coach standing there with the ball. And the whole idea is to beat your guy and just get to the, to the coach with the ball. So here comes Clowney and Garrett run jogging together across the field. And I'm thinking, all right, we're actually going to see them do something. This is going to be great. And they get over there and they both just kneel down on one knee with their helmet in their hand and watch. That was really disappointing for me. And just, Beyond that, not getting to see them both go full go, uh, you know, in, in a preseason game coming off the edge each side. That's 
I doubt we're going to see that in Atlanta. Maybe we will, but to this point, it, that's been a disappointment that we really haven't, haven't been able to see that. Yeah, they probably right. don't want Patrick to see that. <laughs> they, yeah. they, they want to surprise Patrick with those uh, two guys blowing off the edge. I mean, my goodness, it's going to be scary. Uh, but I wanted to back up on TAC for a minute real mm. quick, if you don't mind. Um, I've been watching TAC a lot for the past couple of days, and he really is fast off the ball. Yeah. He is fast and explosive off the ball. And if he can stick around and hold it together, uh, you, you have an element of, of really incredible speed there. I showed, I tweeted yesterday uh, an agility drill that the defensive linemen were doing. And, um, and I, I made the point with, with Jadavian that these elite athletes, they just look so different when they're doing these agility drills that you could just tell the difference between a first rounder and a later, a later round guy. Jadavian looked really good. Tack was the last one to do it. And I didn't pull in, I didn't zoom in well enough on the video when I posted it on Twitter yesterday, but he looked amazing doing this drill. He looked really, really good. And he, he drew kudos uh, from a coach that, that just said, wow, that was really fast. And not just in that, but in like every single thing that I've seen him do from a drill standpoint an individual drill standpoint, you can see where they're going with this. He's just a speed rusher. It's just like, go, you know, snap the ball and go. And, uh, and I think it's going to be a really cool element to see if they can bring that out in him. And uh, if he can, you know, stick around and, and make this thing work, they're onto something with him, I think. Yeah. And that's, again, when it comes to tack, the traits are there when we get into the season because he's been away it's his conditioning that I'll be watching and then his ability to stay healthy you just don't know how the body's going to react like you're saying Mary Kay when you are quick twitch like that we heard Anthony Schwartz talk about it the difference between track and field and football you, you, you go zero to 100 in this game and when your body's been away from it you just don't know how it will respond I think that's a good segue as we slide into our last section the rewards ceremony here our largest looming questions and mine is just the health of this football team. Are these injuries going to linger? That's the biggest question going forward to me. It's been a theme throughout this podcast, a theme throughout camp. I mean, whether it's Tony Fields, we already mentioned Grant Delpit and Anthony Shorts. I mean, Miles Garrett and Denzel Ward were sidelined for a, a good week there dealing with hamstring injuries. And then I even saw Clowney yesterday mention how he was dealing with a little strain, but but is fine. That you know, and those are the type of comments that just pique my interest and make me worry just slightly like you hope that they've worked through these you trust the Browns medical staff but we've seen it too often over these past two years where these soft tissue injuries come back and it really changes the entire outcome of a season and you just don't know when they strike we thought Grant Delpo was back and then he's gone will these injuries continue of course it's impossible to know but we talk so much about X's and O's and personnel and rosters and, and groupings. And most of the time in this game, it's just who's healthy and can they contribute? Yeah, that's kind of tied to my biggest unanswered question because most of those injuries, at least the key players are on defense. And for me, the, the, the question was what, what does this defense really going to do and look like? We haven't seen it at full strength. We haven't seen it full go. Um, we haven't really gotten a good taste of what the big nickel is going to look like with three safeties out there. We haven't seen much of 
you know, Clowney and Garrett moving around on this defensive line and, uh, and what that could be. Um, and the linebackers have, you know, been in and out as well. So we, you know, we're still not sure who's going to be lining up next to Anthony Walker uh, against the Chiefs. So uh, really the defense for me is, is the biggest uh, unanswered question, largely, again, because of the injuries. I have a couple. Dan, you want to go first? Yeah, mine is real. Mine is real simple. It's one I've sort of been harping on. Are we sure Chase McLaughlin's the kicker? <laughs> Nobody will just come out and say yes. Chase McLaughlin is the kicker, and maybe this is going to be. Maybe this is going to sound stupid when he makes an extra point after Ronnie Harrison returns a Patrick Mahomes interception to start the scoring in Kansas City. But I, I just don't know. Nobody is just coming out and saying, "Yeah, this is our guy." It just makes me think that they're gonna, if the right guy becomes available on Tuesday that there might still be a move at that position. And that is a place, I mean, like you can just plug and play a guy there. So I, I don't know. My antennas are raised on that. That's all. So I guess that's still my biggest question. And we saw the Panthers trade for a kicker the other day, I believe. And I agree with you, Dan, everything's on the table. Cause you're right. They won't just come out and say it. But wait a minute. Phil Dawson. <laughs> when Phil Dawson got the job, they did not tell him. They said, okay, yeah, like you're our kicker for now. They didn't even tell Phil Dawson he was the kicker. It's sort of like an ice the kicker thing. You just have to like mess with kickers. It's just a thing that NFL teams do. They just, you know, they just keep that pressure on them all the time. Like, we're just not really sure about you. You know, you're going to the Hall of Fame, but we're just not sure. So here comes 14 years of Chase McLaughlin. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, Dan, you asked pre for this yesterday. just about like the the – having that mindset to be a special teamer. And I thought it was, it made me laugh when he said, you got to be a little sick in the head or he worded something like that. You got to be a little off to both coach and, and play special teams. And though kickers aren't necessarily running down there making tackles and having that, that motor, you're right, Mary Kay. There's just something unknown about this position that, Hey, you're our guy now, even though we aren't going to tell you. Right. All right. So I've got a couple question marks that I wrote down. So I'll go with my first one. Uh, but then, uh, at some point I'd like to just at least mention my honorable mention too. So my biggest question mark, and the thing that I really wanted to see in this training camp a lot of, and that I didn't see was Baker Mayfield and Odell Beckham Jr. together in a lot of seven on sevens together, a lot of team drills together, Odell going against, you know, the first team defense and all that kind of stuff, maybe practicing against the giants and, and all those good sorts of things. It seemed like when we saw the height, videos that he was really going to be able to participate a lot in this training camp. And of course they really kind of put him in bubble wrap and they kept him healthy throughout camp to try to get him to that first game. So we still don't really know. Now they look really good together off to the side, but as Odell Beckham Jr. has been telling us since the day he showed up here on the doorstep that you don't develop chemistry and timing with your quarterback in practice, it has to happen during the game. And the reason it has to happen during the game, especially with Odell, is because he's so often double teamed that he has to be creative in getting himself open. And that doesn't always jive with Baker Mayfield's need to throw the ball exactly where it's supposed to be in this precision timing offense to a spot. Okay. So it's been like, I think that's been part of the problem. Now, I've been saying that I think 
Baker needs to come Odell's way a little tiny bit and let him do his thing and still kind of look for him when he can, once he gets open. And then for Odell's part, to really try to be precise. And when you're supposed to run the 15 yard comeback, you know, like be where you're supposed to be so that Baker can put it on the die. Um, so, but they don't agree with me on this. It's not the first time the Browns haven't agreed with me, but that's the story for another day. Um, so they don't think that Odell should have to, I mean, they don't think Baker should have to adjust to Odell. They, they believe that Odell has to do all the adjusting to Baker. But I sometimes think when you have a superstar, like if he's the LeBron of your football team, maybe you do have to let him do his thing a little bit. So I still want to see how some of these things are going to work out. Um, you know, can you, can you just make Odell be that super cookie cutter, precise route runner that they need him to be? Or can he do some of his, show some of that flair, get open in any way that he can? Cause he's double teamed half the time. I mean, you got to like try to be creative. Um, so I want to see how this is going to work out. I think it's going to work out really well. I think we all think that, but I still don't know. So that's my biggest question. I, I hear you, Mary Kay, <clears throat> excuse me. And I've been vocal about everyone being patient with this. I think it's going to take the entire month of September, probably the first four weeks of the season to just massage out everything you just laid out there, Mary Kay, whether it's Odell getting back up to a snap count of that he's so used to playing or just the chemistry in general, it is going to be Kansas city in the fourth preseason game against the Texans, Chicago, and then a weak secondary in Minnesota playing inside a dome in a controlled situation. Uh, I could see that Minnesota game being a, a coming out party for Odell as they, peak towards a, a climax and then ride that out towards the end of the season. Uh, but again, it, I, we keep saying it and we continue to be wrong and continue to wait. So I, I don't know how this isn't the biggest question in terms of just Baker Odell. Will this work? It's that simple. Go ahead, Dan. I know you're, I know you're dying. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I don't, I don't have a ton to add there. It, it's just been the question ever since Odell showed up here. Right. And these two get on the same page. So here we are, third training camp in the books, and we're still asking it. So, uh, you know, hopefully this is going to be the year for it. And when they're not on the same page, it can be catastrophic. Look what happened the last time that they weren't on the same page. Right? What happened in Cincinnati? Baker throws the ball. Odell's not looking for it, doesn't really know that it's coming at that moment, and ends up getting picked off, and Odell Beckham Jr. suffers a torn ACL. So they have to be on the same page, but I think they'll both know the offense better this year. And also I think Baker will also be more ver verbal and vocal about telling guys, Hey, here's what I need you to do. Here's where I, where I need you to be. I think he'll be able to express himself better this year. And he's going to be the, you know, the top dog of the offense this year. Yeah. I think continuity, I think plays into it this year because both, you know, seasons that they've been together, you know, Baker's been learning a new offense and also trying to uh, get used to what Odell's doing in that offense. And by the time everything clicked last year, of course, Odell's gone. Um, so I think that is in their favor. The fact that Baker has a good command of what's going on and 
even though Odell was a part of that second half of the season, he was still, you know, he's obviously still here and learning everything as everybody else is learning everything. So I think the continuity, I, I wouldn't expect them to need a lot of time just watching Odell in practices. It's, you could tell he's just, he's ready to go. Um, so week one, however many snaps he ends up getting, I, I don't expect there to be, you know, a lot of confusion between those guys. So I do have an honorable mention that I wouldn't mind bringing up. You guys mind? Go for it. So my second biggest question is, can JOK get up to speed after all the adversity he has suffered in this training camp, beginning with missing the very first five days while out on COVID-19 reserve? That's a lot of camp to miss in the beginning. And then to storm back and just go kind of gangbusters in Jacksonville and jump off that screen and be like, wow, uh, to having a freak weightlifting accident, stitches in his forehead, can't put on a helmet this whole entire week, not going to play in this last preseason game. This would have been a kind of a big preseason game for him. I think it means that Mac Wilson, I, I think he's going to have to start in Kansas City. Keep hearing Joe Woods talking about how JOK is a rookie. Don't want to give, give him too much. I thought he was coming up the learning curve quickly enough to possibly start in Kansas city. I think the stitches in the forehead put the kibosh on that. I think not sure, but that's what I think. I still think he's going to be really, really good, but now it's just kind of a matter of how quickly can he catch back up? So I'm going to answer your question with a question, Mary Kay. Okay. Is this maybe the best thing that could have happened for JOK in a way? because it sort of pumps the brakes a little bit and it kind of slows that hype train just a little because we saw in Jacksonville, he played with his hair on fire. He was outstanding against the giants. Felt like a little bit of a step back. Saw him miss a tackle or two. Maybe it seems like Joe Wood still wants to slow play this a little bit with his role. So maybe in a weird way, this is, a good thing for JOK that it, it's going to just slow things down just a little bit, you know, because I can see him as the type of player that defensive coordinator is going to say, let's just, you know, he's still a little raw. Let's take advantage of that in some ways, get some misdirection going with him. You use that athletic ability and that speed against him and maybe slowing him down is, is going to be a good thing. Um, and, and then look, when he gets out there, we saw the impact he can have. So, you know, maybe, Maybe it's okay if he gets slowed down a little bit, but no, I, I think that's, he's going to have to play a significant role for this defense to kind of be what it wants to be at some point uh, this season. Yeah. Yeah. Dan. yeah. I'm picking up what Dan's putting down there. As you were laying that out, it made me think of quarterback battles going on around the league right now. For example, Chicago, if, Chicago were to start Justin Fields, then you basically lose Andy Dalton for the season. You're not going to have him be a voice in the locker room. He's just sort of there. If he has to come in, you're, you're backpedaling, whether it's injury or pulling. You, you just socially, the dynamics become a bit confusing. I think you can say the same thing and obviously a much lesser important position with the linebacker room. If you throw this all at JOK, make him the quote unquote man, the up and coming guy, you probably lose Mac Wilson to a decent capacity just from a headspace type of I'm a part of this team. I have a real future here. You, you really pick one over the other 
where now due to just the randomness of JOK's two hurdles during camp, you do have an opportunity now to slow play this and get the most out of Mac Wilson while sprinkling in JOK. And then like both Dan and Mary Kay said, his natural athleticism is just going to make him a playmaker. He, he will, when it comes to time to sink or swim for a guy like JOK, he, he's going to find a way to swim eventually because those traits, we saw him in Jacksonville. That's, that's all you need to know. And then you trust the development of the coaching staff from an educational standpoint. But I really like how you laid that out, Dan. This is a win for Mac Wilson and overall an opportunity to probably maximize your linebacker room rather than just deeming JOK the guy. Yeah, I would have been surprised if it was JOK on the field to start against the Chiefs. Um, even with how well he had played, uh, at least in that first preseason game and how he kind of he got some snaps kind of up the depth chart against the Giants and their and the joint practices. I think you know it's been Mac Wilson. It, as long as he's been healthy, it's been Mac Wilson out there with, with Walker. And if they go with three, it's Taki Taki on the other side. And which is the same thing we saw last season with that. There was BJ Goodson in the middle. And uh, so that's kind of like the group I would expect to see out there to start, whether, whether it was JOK without the stitches with or without the stitches. I just, I think Joe Woods is being honest because he said that more than once about, how he doesn't want to put too much on him, how we're probably not going to see the full effect of JOK until year two. Uh, they are, I think they were going to slow play this regardless and just make, get, you know, quality over quantity with him. You know what, when I look at, at JOK, I do, I do 100% get and understand the whole raw rookie and that whole narrative but I also see the best blitzer on the team. I see so much speed at linebacker. I see the ability to cover. I see exceptional, exceptional closing speed, really good instincts, high football acumen. For every one mistake I think he's going to make on the football field, I think he's gonna make two plays. So I'm willing to take one mistake for two dynamic plays. I think he's a very dangerous young man. And they were willing to take him in the first round. I think they love him. At least the front office does. Now, it does seem like Joe Woods is proceeding with caution. There are some coaches that are very old school, and they value experience and guys that have been there. But we're talking about Mac Wilson, a fifth-round pick out of Alabama, who graded out in the 30s last year, okay, against a guy that you were willing to take in the first round of the draft and that many people thought about taking in the first round of the draft until a little heart issue flared up. Okay. So in my mind, if he had been there from day one and wasn't on COVID-19 reserve for the first five days of camp, if he hadn't had a fluky little weightlifting accident and now have stitches in his forehead, there's almost no doubt in my mind that he would have been the starter on opening day in Kansas city next to Anthony Walker, almost no doubt whatsoever. I think that once again, what you were going to give up in terms of some mental errors or mistakes or not being in the right place at the right time, you were going to gain some pretty darn scary versatile linebacker ability that you're not going to get from anybody else that you have on this football team. And he's their prototype. Like if, if they went in, to the lab and drew up the prototypical 
hybrid linebacker that they want, there's JOK right there. Okay. They love this guy. So I think if not for these setbacks, he, he was going to be your guy. And I think as soon as they can get him in there, he's going to be in there early and often. Yeah. Often it is that simple in this league. When you have two guys ask yourselves who would opposing offensive coordinators spend more time preparing for Mac Wilson, JOK. It, it answers your question. Mary Kay lays it out perfectly there. Um, we're going to wrap up our awards segment with that. Uh, any other training camp takeaways as we say goodbye to the, the 2021 training camp and cleanup here? Mary Kay, go ahead. We should probably name the, uh, the, the rookie, right? The, the best rookie in camp. Demetric Felton? Greg Newsom? What's interesting is that we all didn't just have that guy at the top of our heads, right? Like we had to think about it for a minute. I actually would go with Greg. Yeah. I would go with Greg Newsom. He won the starting job. I mean, at least in my mind, I, like I told you, I called that race on Sunday. <laughs> the minute that Greedy went out with the, uh, the groin injury, done deal. He's going to be the starter opposite Denzel Ward. I thought he had a nice couple of days against the Giants. Ended that two-minute drill with a pick. Coming up the learning curve very quickly. Exceed, has exceeded expectations because of his work ethic and his ability to take coaching and to ask questions of guys like Troy Hill endlessly. Uh, and I, I just think he had a really, really, really nice camp. So I think the first-round pick is the guy. Yeah, I'm, I'm comfortable with that. You know, just because he wasn't around the ball and, and didn't have a bunch of splash plays, the consistency and, and fact that you win that job and look solidify yourself as a, a solid first-round pick already, you can't couldn't have had much of a better camp than Greg Newsom had. Yeah. Uh, I'm with Greg. You're going, Greg. Sure. I, I think I think Dimitrik Felt should get some sort of award just because yeah. of the amount of – time he's put in you know Greg Greg Newsom spends a lot of time standing on the sideline watching other things happen Demetrix <laughs> Felton does not Demetrix's involved with everything uh is there like a rookie Iron Man award we can give him yeah wow. he should win that we will we will craft that shortly and, and have these awards delivered to Bree of course as we do each year I kid but that that is uh, how we're going to wrap up the, this award segment and the end of training camp but as one thing ends Another begins, of course, the Browns Sunday will be in Atlanta for the final preseason game. And then cut day is the 31st. I believe that will be Tuesday. And we'll have you covered here at Cleveland.com and on the Orange Brown Talk podcast. So stay tuned. And we're signing off for myself, Scott Pasco, Dan Lobby, Mary Kay Cabot. I'm Ellis Williams. Thanks for listening, y'all. Okay, there you go. Our training camp awards for 2021. I got the year right this time. Now, coming up after the break, my interview with Kadero Hodge. So I just kind of wanted to talk to you about what, what this camp has been like for you. And has, has it felt different from previous camps? Kind of, you know, you won that job last year, and I know you're still kind of fighting for a job this year, but does, does this camp feel any different? Uh, no, not any different for me. Uh, I know I just, for me, it's just come in and compete every day. I don't really worry about uh, roster spots right now. My job is to come in and compete and, and put as much good good things on tape as I can, you know. Uh, for, so as far as that, I feel like it's been like any other camp. Just come in and fight for a job and, and do what I know I can do. When you did get that receiver job last year, 
I mean, did, I, I guess what was that like? Because I know you know you're with the Rams, and then you ended up here. You're kind of a special teamer that first year here a lot. So I mean, what was it like to kind of get that recognition? Like, hey, I can do this. I, I feel good. I mean, that's what I'm. That's what I'm out here to do to prove that I'm. I am more than a special team, but not that I don't like playing special teams, right. but I do want to prove that I am a receiver first. You know, uh, that's my job description, and that's that's what I go by. So so winning that job was, it meant a lot. It, it shows that uh, that the work I've done in the offseason has, has been shown on the field. And then I guess going back to the special teams thing, what, what makes a good gunner? I've always kind of wondered that. Because like, uh, like that seems crazy to me. I uh, really just want to, really, man. It's just really just about going out there and just saying, uh, I'm, I'm going to go make the play. Uh, being the first down there, I usually mix in a little receiver with it just for my releases and getting off the right. line of scrimmage. And anything after that is just speed and want to and just wanting to make the play. So, I mean, where did you kind of pick that up? I mean, did you? I mean, you were a quarterback in college, so you weren't uh, playing special teams in college. So, like, when, when you get to the NFL, how do you kind of flip that switch? Oh, man, I actually never played any gunner until I got to the Rams. Okay. Uh, the Rams, is when they first introduced me to special teams, period, besides, like, punt return while I was trying to, like, block punts in college. But special teams, as far as gunner, uh, I would say Bones, uh, the round special teams yeah. coordinator, introduced me to it. He he taught me the in and outs of it and everything, and just showed me like there's a way that that's the way you can stay on the team until you get your opportunity. I was, I was actually going to ask you if Bones was your special teams coach. I couldn't yeah, remember. Great guy, yeah, great guy, great guy. Actually, he taught me a lot. It's real smart dude. Him and Pre goes neck to neck. Pre's a great guy too. He knows a lot. He's he's taught me a lot while I've been here as well. So let me ask you this. You, you went to Prairie View. It was Prairie View A&M, right? Yeah. Okay. I was make sure I don't want to get that confused. So how did you end up going there? Like, what was? Were there other places you could have gone, or was that, like, your option? Oh, uh, man. Uh, you know, I started out as quarterback right. at Alcorn State. I signed as a quarterback at Alcorn State my first year. And I played a year there, red-shirted, uh, didn't like it. So I had left, and I went to Hines Junior College. And that's when I transitioned to receiver. And uh, I got to Hines, and didn't actually go as, as I wanted to go. I wasn't playing. I didn't get any. I, I probably had a couple receptions, not many yards. So coming out of that season, I didn't have many looks or any offers at all, actually. I was like, didn't really know what I was going to do for a little minute. And uh, I don't know how it happened. I just asked God for to just show me a way, give me another chance. And uh, somehow... The offensive coordinator that was at Alcorn State, Coach Willie Simmons, he ended up being the previous uh, head coach. Okay. And he called me, and he knew what I could do as far as being an athlete while I was there. And he called me and asked me, did I want to come with him? And I'm like, man, I didn't know what Preview was. I never been. I never visited at all. And I was just like, yeah, man, I'm, I'm with it. Wherever you going, I'm going, man, because that was my only option. And I'm right. like, man, I. I just got to make the best of this opportunity, and it and it worked out for the best. So, so I mean, what do you think kind of about your football future then when that all happens? So, like you're running out of options, oh, switching yeah. to receiver. Like, are you? Man. I mean, just the NFL, even like I'm sure that's what you wanted. I mean, but yeah, does it, it feel was, real? 
Yeah, it was in my in the back of my head. It was still an option, but I mean, not having anywhere to go at that time was like, man, am I gonna have to get a job right now? Is my career over with? But uh, I ended up talking to some people, and I just dug deep and got closer to God, and and doors open, and I I said if, if the door opened, then. And I'm gonna go full, full, full head, full steam, and never look back. And that's what I've been doing. So, I mean, it was, it was definitely a dream, and I can't. I mean, it, it, it means a lot to just, to just go what I went through. And I, I could, like, I tell it. I know everybody has a story, but, but I mean, I've just being what I've been through, man. I, I, I take no opportunity for granted. But, I mean, when you when you say that, are you just talking about like all the stuff going to Alcorn and then having to transfer? Is there, is there more? Yeah, there... just the I mean, life period. You know, I mean, everybody everybody has their story, their background, where they come from, as far as like single parent home, mom being jobless, just finding ways to to provide for me and my other siblings. And it was just hard for us, and that was really my reason why why I wanted to just make it out and why I just do extra and why I wanted to do more in life just to provide, just to see what she was going through and how, how she dug deep and tried to find a way for us. That was This was my way of giving back to her. How, how many siblings do you have? I have three, an older brother, a younger sister, and a twin sister. Okay. So it was your older brother that you were playing Fortnite with when you discovered that? Oh, no. Nah, this was uh, actually, well, he was in the room. But okay. My my brother was... I actually, I actually call him my brother, but he's not my blood brother. Right. He's just uh, a younger. He's younger. He's like 23. Okay. And we was just on the game, and that just happened to <laughs> happened to pop up. So, so I mean, what was your mom doing? Like, what to kind of get you guys by? Honestly, I don't even know. We had uh, we had moved in with my grandpa because we couldn't couldn't pay rent for anything. Uh, got kicked out of our apartment when we was young. So growing up, we had to move in with our grandpa. She couldn't work because she had a, a sleeping disability. So uh, whatever she could do to make, I mean, to make ends meet, whether it was uh, garage sales, just cook out some weekends, just anything to make some money that she she go do it. Okay, I mean, is that so? You you say that's kind of your why, but was that also kind of like where you picked up that work ethic too? Yeah, just, just seeing uh, her do whatever it, it took. Yeah, that's basically where I picked it up from. Seeing her do whatever it takes, and that's my mindset going at with anything. Uh, uh, I work in the hard hard work won't won't be an excuse. Like uh, I know I know. If, if I can't do anything else, then I could work. So, where was this? Where where, where did you grow up at? Uh, D'Lo, Mississippi. Okay. Yeah, D'Lo, right. Mississippi. Small city in Mississippi. <laughs> about 300 people. Everybody knows everybody. Everybody's family. So, uh, yeah, D'Lo. D'Lo, <laughs> okay. Mississippi. Um, it's a lot of players that come out of there. <laughs> come out of Mississippi. Yeah, it is. Actually, right now, it's... Uh, it was pretty exciting to see when I looked on the NFL Top 100. We had like seven players. Okay, that was pretty cool to see. So, is that where you played high school ball too? Where'd you play? I played. D'Lo is actually connected to Mendenhall High okay. School. 
that's all the little communities in, together as one. So I, I went to Mendenhall High, and I and I played there uh, from little kid all the way up to high school. Okay. And you played quarterback in high school? Yeah, I played quarterback my whole life. Uh, yeah. I never played any other position. I think I played safety like one one. One game, one or two games in my senior year. Okay, that, you, that was it though. <laughs> yeah, that was it. I was not. <laughs> I actually did good. My first game at safety, I got a pick six and I had like ten tackles. In the second game, I had like thirteen tackles. But okay. defense was just not. <laughs> Not for me at the time. Why? Why not, dude? Was there? I just, just I don't know. I just never been a defensive-minded player. Where I just want to play tackle. I always felt like I wanted to be on the offensive side of the ball to make plays. Now, if I remember right, you were a lefty, or you are a lefty. I shouldn't say you were. You are. Yeah, definitely a lefty. I could still spin it. Closest thing to Vic. (laughs) <laughs> you know, so uh, yeah, I can still spin it, man. I love to just throw. To this day, I love to just go out and throw, and just spin it, man. Uh, you hear me talking noise at the home practice field, just saying I could throw, man. Let me throw. I'm always trying to claim I'm QB three or four, you know. So that's yeah, that's always fun. I mean, it's that's something I always wonder if guys miss that. Like, I, there's just a lot of guys that played quarterback coming up, but I always want. Some guys don't, but I'm, like, yeah, do you I miss do. it. Yeah, I always miss it because it's like you, you in the com- you in command of the game, like. It's your game, like you control everything, and just having that control and being able to make the plays and knowing you can make plays, it's exciting, and that's what that's what I miss about it. Uh, just to, it was it was just fun, you know. I mean, who did you kind of watch? You mentioned Vic. Were yeah, there other Vic guys that you sure. watched? Uh, Vic was my number one guy. Donovan McNabb. Was another guy I watched, uh, Steve McNair for sure. Yeah, that was uh, especially in Mississippi. And, uh, he was a part of the reason I had went to Alcorn and tried to play quarterback. So uh, yeah, I say Steve for sure. Okay, okay. I, I mean, when you see like Jarvis get to throw a pass in a game, I'm like, I don't remember if Odell threw a pass last year or not. Yeah. I know he has. I mean, do you, do you kind of like? Yeah, are you ever in, are you ever in Stefanski's ear like, hey, come on? Oh I yeah, can, he knows. He knows that I, he's heard me before. But uh, I'm behind the vets. You know how that go. Uh, they gonna get theirs. I just gotta wait my time, which they can throw to Jarvis. Jarvis, you know, he he probably has a 158 passer rating right now. <laughs> Perfect touchdowns and open throw as well. So hopefully my time comes. You know. <laughs> I'm just waiting until then. I don't. I want to get you in trouble. But which of you got? Like, who's the best quarterback in that room? In the receiver room? Yeah. I, I'm not even gonna speak I, on. I, was gonna say, not, I don't want to get you in trouble. Nah, I'm not gonna speak on that. I'm not gonna speak on it. We got our own little competition, little friendly competition we do. But I'm not gonna speak on it. <laughs> so when you get to the NFL, and obviously you made that switch to wide receiver in college, you get to the NFL. How? How hard was that learning curve? Like, was it tough to kind of pick that stuff up? Was the fact that you played quarterback, did that help you? Uh, Yeah, playing quarterback helped me as far as, like, reading coverages while I'm running routes. But uh, in college, I actually was had an opportunity of playing for the receiver coach I had. He actually taught us, like, to read concepts, and that's okay. what it's all about out here is learning the whole concept and not just learning X, I play X or I play Z. So transitioning from 
just learning from college to NFL wasn't a real problem for me. I look at my, I see myself as one of the smarter guys in the, in the room, so I can learn and pick up on things pretty quick. Okay. Um, and then when you're in a room with Odell and Jarvis and you know, you know Higgins is in there too, all those guys. But, I mean, what do you kind of pick up from that? And I mean, even in LA, you had good receivers there. Too. Oh yeah. I mean, everything, man. I'm a, I'm a sponge. Wherever I'm at, if I see, if I think it's gonna. If I think it's going to help my game, then I'm going to ask them about it and, and see what they do and how. Because obviously they've had a lot of success in the league and see, like, how do they, how would they run this route a certain way and see what, however I can better my game, then I'm going to I'm going to ask them and they're, they're going to help. Those are good guys. They look out for us. We look out for each other. What about Shadow Shane? I mean, oh, man, that's... Probably one of the smartest receiver coaches I've had just to be around. Like, he, I learned so much from him just sitting in the room, man. You really learn something every day just just hearing him break down coverages and seeing tendencies and just knowing how to run a route against a certain DB or a certain coverage and knowing where to get in the zone, man, it's crazy. And I've always gotten the impression that, like, you can't, like, you're not going to get on the field for him if you can't block. Is that, I mean, is oh, that a yeah. big part of it? It's a big part of offense because yeah. we got Chubb and Hunt. So, you know, we want to get those guys going. When they get going, we get going. So, running, running, run blocking is a part of our offense. Just as much, just as important as uh kitchen. So has anybody hit you up to teach you to play guitar yet? Yeah, actually really? a lot of people has hit me up, man. Uh, I was talking to a guy yesterday and he said he he'd, uh, he'd teach me online. So okay. uh, I'm excited about that. I plan on buying the guitar soon. And I told him that when I get it, I'll hit him back up. <laughs> so did you just reach yeah. out to you on Twitter yeah, or something? Yeah, man. It like... was like, when I said that, it was like flooded with messages. <laughs> I was like, wow, this is crazy. So so what's the first song you want to learn? Do you even know? I don't even know yet, man. <laughs> uh, I probably have to ask that too. I don't know yet, but whatever song it is, I'll be excited. I'll probably be paying for a month straight once I learn it. Is, I mean, is that the type of guy you are, though? Are you somebody that, like, you'll just take on something like that? Like, you weren't really into guitar. You start that celebration, now you're like, I want to learn. Yeah, you kinda I like was that? like, man, I need to go on and add it because <laughs> I always get that question where, can you really play? I'm like, man, I don't like being like, no, nah, I can't really do it. So I like the challenge, just just seeing if I can really do it. And I feel like I'll enjoy it once I learn it because I like music anyway. So yeah. I feel like it'll be fun. What, what kind of music? Like, who are you? Uh, if, if you see me... Day to day, then I'll probably be listening to, to R&B, some chill stuff most of the time, of course rap. I've dug in a little country music as well. Oh, okay. That's interesting. So I'm, I'm getting, I'm starting to dip into different things slowly. Okay. We, you guys got to get a trip to Nashville in here oh, at yeah. some point. I can see you on yeah. a Saturday night before a game out there. Yeah. <laughs> That'll be fun. That will be fun. All right. I don't want to keep you out here in the rain much longer. I really appreciate right. it. Yeah, uh, appreciate good to meet you. You too. Yep. Thanks to Canero for taking the time to sit down with me. And thanks to Mary Kay, Scott, and Ellis for doing the award show earlier. That'll do it for this edition of the Orange and Brown Park Podcast. Thanks for listening, everybody.